Friends, you'll remember that we're in week five now of our Prophets in Profile sermon series and that at the beginning of the series we started with Miriam, who is the prophetess who helped to lead the community out from under Egypt's oppression through the Exodus. We followed that up by talking about Elijah who ministered to the northern kingdom, the Holy Land with those two kingdoms. He was in the northern kingdom preaching against Baal and those who worshiped Baal, Canaanite God. And then Jeremiah and Ezekiel were prophets of the exile. We talked about how Babylon forced the people from their homes and these prophets had to continually encourage the people to follow God, to believe that God was still present with them. And today we meet the prophet Jonah. Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing obey. Amen. So I warned the group that traveled on our pilgrimage to Africa a couple weeks ago, I warned them, get ready to be late over the course of the next two weeks because everything there runs on what they call African time. For everyone but me, this was a first trip to South Africa, this was my sixth. And each time we've tried to pack in more than we can actually do and the, and the goodbyes between new friends get extended and we sing two, three, four extra songs in worship and we go and we visit another group of children or we go and we hear about another dream for the community and we're just always running late when we go to South Africa because we're on African time. But this time it wasn't because of the Africans. We were running late because of the Americans. And I'm not pointing figure, fingers. It wasn't just one of us. It was a group effort. We all had our chance. And so it was on the day that we went to visit the Seiki Women's Foundation that we were running late. We were intending to visit these orphan children who go to the Seiki Women's Foundation a couple of days a week to get a hot meal. For the last 15 years, Mama Bono, who is the village saint, puts together this meal of of meat and cornmeal and squash with her trusty brigade of volunteers and she feeds these kids during their break for school lunch. They leave school to come and have this meal at Seiki Women's Foundation and then they go home. And we were intending to serve food to these children on that day and we were running late. And so I text my friend Unati a South African who helps to run the program and I said we're on our way and she said you'll never make it in time these kids have to go back to school and immediately my throat tightened see the window was so small to see them and we'd gotten our wires crossed about how long it was gonna take to get there I'm so sorry I told her and she said don't worry 
We'll take care of it. As we pulled into the road where Seiki sits, I saw this small group of children wearing blue uniforms, carrying milk and yogurt. They also get that at Seiki. They're able to take milk and yogurt home. And the school teacher was helping them to cross the street. We've missed them, I thought to myself. But at least they ate. Our small bus pulled in next to Seiki Women's Foundation, and I peeked in the doorway. I'd been there several times now, and the walls were bright yellow, just like I remembered them. And a young mother with a baby strapped to her back was mopping the white tile floor. Mrs. Bono ran to me, and she gave me this huge hug. And then I noticed a group of about 40 children sitting quietly in white plastic chairs, holding their yogurt and milk, waiting for us. They were waiting for us, waiting. Orphan children waiting for these Americans to arrive. They have to go off to school, Mrs. Bono said, but they wanted to stay long enough to meet you. And we looked at them and they looked at us. Friends, this is how God is. God waits. God is patient. God hopes that we're coming anticipates us coming. God is patient. We, we sometimes think and talk about how we wait on God, but the truth is, God, like an orphan child sitting in a plastic chair, waits for us. God is so patient. That's what the story of Jonah is about in so many ways. The very patience of God. God is patient not only with Jonah in the story. We know from chapters 1 and 2 of Jonah that Jonah gets this word from the Lord and he runs from it, but God doesn't give up on Jonah. And he gets into a boat to head to Tarshish, but God doesn't give up on Jonah. He's in the belly of a whale, but God is still patient with Jonah. God believes that Jonah will turn. God waits for Jonah. And so it is that when God offers a message to the Ninevites, it is one of patience and one of waiting, which is surprising to Jonah because, you see, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And Assyria is the empire that conquered the northern kingdom. Jonah's probably written down after the exile, but it's a story that happened before the exile. It's a story that happened once again in the northern kingdom. And he's going then to Nineveh, to the capital of Assyria, to the capital of the empire that destroyed their temple and stole their homes and robbed their families of a future. 
And just because after the exile, these people are moving back to the promised land, the people that had moved in aren't moving back out. And so the community has to figure out how they're going to interact with the people that really hurt them. And so that's why it's important for them to be telling this story of Jonah who returns to Assyria. These are the very people, these Ninevites, that had dashed the heads of their children off of rocks. We have modern-day archaeological evidence, wall reliefs in a city called Lachish, that depict just how brutal the torture was. The Assyrians bragged about the way that they tortured and flayed the Hebrew people in their conquering of the northern kingdom. That's the community that Jonah is going to see. And so Jonah's greatest fear in heading off to Nineveh is not the Ninevites. His greatest fear is that God will be consistent, that God, like he is with him, patient, he will also be with the Assyrians, the Ninevites, patient. You can almost hear that in Jonah's prophecy, that that is his fear, that God will be consistent, that God will be patient. He says five words in Hebrew, 40 days more, and, the Nineveh, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his prophecy to Nineveh. 40 days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That word there, the last one in Hebrew, hafat, is a curious word. See, Jonah doesn't say that they'll be annihilated immediately. He could have. That word in Hebrew is shahat and was the case with Sodom and Gomorrah. But Jonah doesn't say that. Jonah also doesn't say that the Ninevites will be cursed into submission. Kalal would be the Hebrew for that. And, and that was the case with Noah and the flood. What Jonah says is hafat, which means to turn. That Hebrew word's also used to, to describe how the river Nile is turned to blood. It's used to describe how an army turns around and retreats in battle. Forty days more and Nineveh, you're gonna be different. That's what Jonah says. God is patient. God is about to take a 40-day-long look at you, Nineveh. God is going to wait on you. And at the end of that 40 days, you're not going to be destroyed. You're not going to be cursed, but you're going to be changed. That's his prophecy to Nineveh. God is patient. God waits. God waits on us just as he promised to wait on the Ninevites. Like, like an orphan in a plastic chair, God waits with a long, loving look. Not much about the way that we look at things these days is long or loving. Our phones offer us a pretty good example of that, I think. Almost everyone has one of these phones. And we scroll. That's what we do. This finger is, gets, gets a lot of exercise. We scroll. And when we scroll, we very rarely pause. And do we ever really, I mean, if you, if you look at your phone, if you think about how you look at that screen, how many long, 
loving looks does it get? There's more frustration in your eyes, spite, jealousy, thoughtlessness. We might like the picture, but internally we think, I know what their problem is. We scroll. God, though, is patient. God wants 40 more days to look at these Ninevites. It might be now that God has put you in someone else's life to remind them of how patient God's love is. We talk a lot about uh, being in the hands of God. I mean, we're going to do some of that at 1030 with Rise Against Hunger. But I wonder how much, too, we're called to be the eyes of God. To remind the world with a long, loving look that he's waiting. It might be that God has put you in someone's life to be his eyes. And it might be that the person that needs to be reminded of how God is waiting is you. Those orphans were God's eyes to us that day, a reminder of God's patience. But we wondered too if they needed to hear that message. And so a voice broke into our looking at one another and it said, Pastor, will you pray for these children? And I said, yes, I I can do that. I'll pray and so I prayed and I prayed for their lives and the people that take care of them and I prayed for Seiki and I prayed for Mama Bono and I prayed for their education and when I finished praying this was all being translated to them in Kosa I asked if I could offer some words of encouragement to the children and they said yes and so again they translated as I said It may be that you look around and you think that everyone in this world has something that you don't have. You don't have money and you don't have family and and you don't have the place to go to school that you would like to go to school. But I want you to remember that God has his eyes on you. God has his eyes on you and you belong to him. Just remember that. And with that, I asked Nicole to sing a song. And I'm here to tell you that they're going to remember her voice long after mine. And I'm just glad that she was singing the same thing that I was saying. She was cementing in the sentiment with her words. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. We broke looks with the children. They had to go to school, and they hurried off. Now, as for those children, I hope that we will continue to be the eyes of God, coming alongside Mama Bono and helping them to remember that God is present in their lives, waiting, always ready to be a part of their lives. Even in some small way, we can do that. Too many people scroll past them, I'm afraid. They scroll on by, 
We can be those kind of people. Come in, listen to them sing, and go on out. We can be those kind of people for the children there at Seiki, for people in our community. We can be the type of community that scrolls on by, but I don't think that's what God calls us to. God calls us to the kind of patient looking on that he offered to the Ninevites. A long, loving look. We all need to remember that, how patient God is, no matter if we are an orphan in a plastic chair or a churchgoer in a wooden pew. God has his eyes, his long, loving look right here. And we remember that together, that God is patient. And we believe that we are in our 40 days, invited to take on some new way of being alive, just like the Ninevites had. And can we imagine how God doesn't scroll past us, but instead, by sending his son Jesus, says, I want to look right at you from eye level. I want to be part of your life. And I want you to know that when you look in the mirror, you look into a mirror that I look into as well. Friends, as Nicole sings this song in just a few minutes, I invite you to put yourself into those plastic chairs and be reminded, just as those orphans were, that God has his eye on you.